Since the 2000s, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has been gaining a popularity in the United States at an increasing speed. Today you can find gyms that specialize in Jiu-Jitsu with relative ease, but it hasn't always been that way. Andrew Smith was one of the folks that this art caught on with early, and over the past decade he has been working to become both a highly skilled practitioner as well as a teacher of the craft through his Richmond, Virginia-based gym, Revolution BJJ. I sat down with Andrew to get his thoughts on why the sport has gained so much popularity and why he has dedicated his time to its practice and instruction. I started doing uh, judo in 1997, and okay. um, this was at VCU. It was just very, very uh, convenient. You know, um, I had wrestled in high school, and I really enjoyed it. So I was looking for something that was sort of similar to wrestling, I guess. Because I mean, I, I don't know, like the, the camaraderie and the um, the workout itself were big parts of it, but like I just like I like the chess game, I guess. Like uh, um, everybody sort of thinks of wrestling as like two two uh, really juiced out roided guys coming and like running across the room and slamming into each other until one guy falls over, you know. But um, our our coach in high school, I was really lucky. He always emphasized uh, the technical aspects of of the training. So like more about strategy. Yeah, for for me, it was much more about. Um, I guess leverage is the best, you know, the best way to think about it. Um, okay. Being able to, you know, uh, execute a takedown against people. I mean, these guys were um, always like way stronger, and, and I mean, there were weight classes in wrestling, so they weren't bigger than me per se. But like, I mean, if you looked at me next to the people that I was wrestling against, for the most part, they would have looked like they were beasts, and I would have looked like, a, um, you know, a stick figure with a giant head, basically. <laughs> <laughs> So I said, all right, I'll, I'll pay attention to the technical aspects as much as I can. I mean, in the meantime, you know, the um, the fitness aspect of it for wrestling in high school was, was big. You know, it was huge. So I was like, it was really strange in high school, just as a side note. I mean, I was kind of like um, walking this line between being uh, a nerd and a jock. Um, and I wasn't really, I never really embraced fully the, the jock mentality, but I had a lot of friends that were across there, you know. So right. I guess uh, I've always sort of been like a weird in the middle, sort of never fit in particularly with any, any class or whatever, or any uh, uh, social sect. Um, so, of course, you know, punk rock sort of appealed to me, um, being sort of in the middle in that in that strange nether region. Yeah. Um, but, you know, wrestling was awesome. I liked it. I wanted something similar. I found judo. Judo was great. Um, it wasn't wrestling, but it was... Similar enough, you were wearing, you know, a jacket and trying to throw people, basically. Um, but there was also this this element of stuff that happened on the ground, you know, and that that was the stuff that really, really interested me, like being able to choke somebody or arm lock, um, the mat work, niwaza they call it in judo. Um, that was just crazy interesting to me. And right around the same time, I started watching UFC uh, videos. So I saw, you know, that this stuff was actually effective in a real one-on-one -on -one fighting situation, you know, basically in terms of self-defense, um, grappling was an absolute must, you know, it was like much, much more effective for most people than striking, um, like 10 times more effective, you know, it's not that you should completely ignore striking if you want to become a complete martial artist or be good at self-defense or whatever, but I mean, if you're going to focus most of your energy, you know, if you apply the 80-20 rule, you really ought to spend almost all of your time focusing on grappling. So okay. anyway, I was intrigued. I saw all these guys that were out there fighting and doing things that I was doing too, and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, you know. 
I, didn't, I don't think I ever had any aspirations of fighting in MMA or big martial arts, you know, but um, but I really liked it. I liked that, the idea that it was efficient and it actually worked, you know, effective. So from mm-hmm. that point of view, it sort of took off, sort of, I got into um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu almost immediately after getting into Judo because there were a bunch of people that were coming up to the Judo Club at VCU that were from various Jiu-Jitsu gyms in the area, people that were traveling through, things like that. There weren't tons and tons of places to train. You know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in America is a relatively new martial art. It's only been around for maybe like, I would say on the outside, like 30 years in America, this, this relatively new martial art meant the community was much smaller. And I was sort of getting in on the ground floor, I guess, and became friends with a lot of people. And uh, Jiu-Jitsu just became gradually a bigger and bigger part of my life. And here I am today, uh, running my own gym. Are there many, like, wrestling things outside of school that you can uh, uh, participate in? So that was part of the problem, I think, you know, um, exactly what you're alluding to. There were, I was I wanted to wrestle. I wanted to do this, you know, uh, go, go hug sweaty men kind of thing, but I wasn't able to find a place that, like, like VCU, for instance, just did not have uh, a wrestling club back then or even a, a team or anything like that. They just didn't, there wasn't anything to do with wrestling. So I was like, man, you know, I was SOL. So when I found the judo club, I was pretty stoked. Jiu-jitsu nowadays, there's, I mean, just for reference, there's like 16 jiu-jitsu schools in Richmond. You know, there were were two when I was getting started, and that was too too generous. Uh, You know, it was was very back then, and now it's almost like uh, mainstream, I guess. Well, addressing that, why do you think it's proliferated so much? Because the one thing I found is that there, there aren't many activities that are structured for adults. Like, uh, for instance, um, my wife, she was a drum major. If she wants to play a snare drum in a marching band, like, she's shit out of options. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because she's not in school, you know? Like, there's no, like, there seems to be this gap in certain types of activities. And unless they're supported by a school, they're they're really isn't much for you to do later with it in life. Um, but it's, it seems like jiu-jitsu has become a really important part of a lot of people's lives. And um, I, I wonder what you think would be the reason for that. Is it, is it the structure, or um, do you think it's, it's more about uh, the physical activity? I think you're in the right ballpark with the idea that it's not that many, you know, sport-related activities, if you want to call it that, or, or just, uh, um, like, the whatever whatever category the, the drum thing goes into. You know, I mean, like, all this stuff is sort of in the same category of stuff that was really fun to do when you were a kid right. and had a lot of structure along with it. And then when you become an adult, all of a sudden you're just supposed to, like, smoke cigarettes and drink a bunch of booze and forget about everything else that's out there, you know? Yeah, and really almost like you're set up to to not be uh, a kid anymore. Um, right. So in a, in a in one way, for me, um, when I roll, when I do jiu-jitsu rolling, we call it, it's kind of like a flow state. I guess a lot of people have written about the uh, the flow state and getting into the zone and things like that, and how you kind of feel, you know, at peace with yourself, like you're, I don't know, almost like meditation, I guess. Oh, yeah, I experienced that a lot. It, if, if you're getting into that, then technically whatever you're doing is probably an art. That makes sense. Because it connects into that brain thing. And someone might not consider 
something like that because it's so physical to be an art, but the reality is that that same area of your brain is lighting up when you get into a flow state. So that's really interesting. I didn't I didn't realize that that was occurring. So when did you switch from the personal aspect of it as 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 um, judo and uh, BJJ being something that you were personally pursuing and to the idea that, hey, this is something that I want to actually start a business around? That's a really good question. You know, I've, I've always been um, a little bit entrepreneurial, I guess. Like, I think everybody in a band at some point has to be, you know, at least to some degree entrepreneurial, right? I mean, otherwise your band yeah. isn't going to be even remotely successful. And I, I'm not going to say we were super successful per se, but I mean, you know, we were around for a little while. We wrote songs, we recorded music, that kind of thing. Right. And if you don't have that bug, um, that drive to create something yourself, then I think that you're never going to do it. And so from a very young age, for me, I've always been interested in trying to create something. Um, the idea that you can potentially make a living doing that appeals to me very much. Of course, when I'm a kid and looking at this thing, I don't necessarily see how freaking difficult it is to make a living doing something that you enjoy, but <laughs> it didn't matter yeah. when I was a kid. I was like, oh, you know, I'll collect comic books and then sell them, or I'll create, um, you know, artwork and sell it or something. Like, I just I just figured I would do something myself at some point. And, I, you know, I had odd jobs over the years and stuff, but, I mean, always in the back, on, on the back burner was whatever project I was working on, you know, whether it was, like, trading VHS tapes, doing mail order stuff, or running a martial arts gym or teaching seminars. So it's, it was sort of always maybe in the back burner, but it wasn't until 2004. So I'd been training for about seven years at that point, maybe eight. I um, decided I was going to go to Brazil. It's sort of like the the Mecca pilgrimage for uh, jiu-jitsu, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. You don't absolutely have to go to Brazil at all uh, if you're super-duper into jiu-jitsu, but... If you go there, there's a great deal of value that you can get from it. And especially back then, before there were tons and tons of good schools in America, in Brazil, uh, there was plenty of great training to be had and stuff like that. And there were a lot of sort of urban legends around this amazing training. Like you come back and all of a sudden you're way better at jiu-jitsu. But some of it was, was true, you know, in, in, in regard to the best people still being there, the, the highest rank dudes and people that just knew the most. I went down there with my good friend Eric Murdo, um, who's – also, uh, my jiu-jitsu instructor, uh, particularly in the beginning before I started my own academy, we went down there. We had a great time. Then when I came back, I was like, well, I want to go back next year um, because it was just the thing to do, and it seemed like a good idea. And also, traveling around at that time seemed like a great thing. But I didn't have a ton of money, you know. So I was like, all right, we need to raise some money to go to Brazil. I have to figure out a way that I can generate some kind of money. So I knew that people were able to go around teaching jiu-jitsu seminars at various different schools, and you can make some money in one day. You might charge, like, 40 or 50 bucks for a person, and you might get, like, 10 or 15 guys to come out for it. So, I mean, that could be a pretty good haul for, for one day. But I also knew that my expertise level was not that high in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I was a purple belt at the time. I said, okay, I've got to, I've got to do seminars. I'm not that good at jiu-jitsu yet. I need to... So I said, judo or BJJ. I made it clear that I was going to be uh, affordable, you know, um, because I didn't really believe that I was worth a ton of money. That's probably when I sort of, like, turned from an amateur to a professional in, in terms of uh, teaching. I'd been helping teach before that, you know, um, 
both of my parents were teachers, you know, elementary school and, and high school teachers. So I sort of always had the, I don't know if you want to say the knack for teaching, but I had some basic principles down in terms of like, um, you know, praising the student before you correct them and things like that. You know, stuff that just helped a lot with breaking down, breaking down details, but also conveying the information to people. Um, so I thought, I thought that gave me a little bit of an advantage in the beginning. So having, you know, having taught some classes here and there was a lot different than going and teaching seminars somewhere else and getting paid for it, right? Mm -hmm. so I was like, well, let's give this thing a shot and see how it goes. And I went on, you know, I was just like, all right, well, I don't, my, uh, my lease is up here pretty soon. I'm just going to, I'm just going to not renew and not have a place to live when I come back home. And I'm just going to travel around for a while and sort of do the couch surfing, you know, uh, willing, you know, intentionally homeless kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I, and I enjoyed it. It was really fun. It was an adventure. So I got to go a few places and I got to teach and I, I got to make some money. And I started to believe that I could, you know, maybe do this full time because I loved jujitsu at that point. I absolutely loved it. I really wanted to keep doing it. I wanted to figure out a way that I could make a living doing it. So I was also doing things like trying to um, trying to referee. Now, if you go to a, a tournament in jujitsu, um, you absolutely have to have a referee out there. You usually have like table workers that are keeping score, and you have administrative staff and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That was a that was a big deal for me to be able to um, to be able to at least at least pay for my competition because meanwhile I had this whole like competition bug that was like uh, you know a, a heroin fix I had to go compete I had some regional success and I was able to go and compete nationally and I did well um, but again okay. that was generally at the lower levels um, mm -hmm. but I mean like you know when I came back home to Richmond, people were like, wow, dude, you're amazing, you know, because people weren't really traveling and, and competing much back then. So I got to be sort of like an early um, minor star in the American jiu-jitsu community, I guess. You know, it was a tight-knit community, so everybody sort of knew everybody. And if you competed and you did reasonably well, people would notice you. So that's kind of where I was. So I built, you know, I built a little bit of a reputation, and I was able to start teaching. Um and, and most of my reputation in the beginning was built around competition, I think, uh, how, how I had done in competition, those kinds of things. But I think since around 2005, it started to start sliding, you know, in the direction of just having a teaching reputation, having a, re a reputation for being a good teacher, you know. And that was sort of also one of my goals because I knew that I probably wasn't going to go travel around competing forever. Um, mm -hmm. I still might compete locally from time to time. I have no major drive to do it, but I might just for fun jump out there and do it. Um, but I have zero interest in, like, traveling to California or to Brazil or something like that to compete ever again. It's just, you know, I've sort of been there, done that. It's not, it's, it's not that it's not fun. It's just that what you give is not equivalent to what you get in return. Right. So it's probably more rewarding for you to be doing the teaching. Absolutely, especially considering that, you know, I can get up more or less when I want to in the morning. You know, I can um, stay up late if I want to at night. Um, I can I set my own hours for the most part. You know, I don't have to I don't have to travel other than from my house to my gym to teach, which is just a huge appeal for me. Um, yeah. Except for when I do seminars, which I still do occasionally, but it's much more on my own terms now. It's not like uh, I have to go out every single weekend to go teach a seminar or go. Um, 
one year I was on the road. I went to 60 different locations. You know, halfway, half of them were tournaments and half of them were, were like seminars. And that was, you know, I mean, that's enough. <laughs> I don't need to go back and do that again. As someone that's run your own business, as someone that has pursued like really big personal goals, what do you think happened that made you click from not doing it to do it? And is there any advice that you could give for someone that wants to pursue something that they've been thinking about but maybe putting off? No, that's a, that's a good question. About The first one, um, what made it click, I really think it was a gradual process, you know. I mean, I have to go back to, to the time that I spent wrestling in high school, and there was probably more of a definable catalyst then, and it was probably puberty, to be honest with you. I started enjoying things that were a little bit rougher, you know, like tackle football and stuff like that when I was around 13. Um, you know, and I, I, I don't know. I just one day I said, screw it. I'm just going to go out there. I'm just going to tackle people. You know, I was like decided to be a little bit more aggressive at that point in my life maybe. I was able to view wrestling through that lens in the beginning that it was going to be this tough thing that I was going to do that um, it was going to make maybe make me tougher as a person, but mostly it was just going to be this kind of tough thing that I was going to enjoy because it was difficult. It was tough. You know, it was physically a difficult thing to do. It's a good thing that I went in there with that mentality because wrestling is very tough. You know, it's like a lot right. tougher than, um, than jiu-jitsu in, in many ways, I think. which maybe sounds kind of crazy because jiu-jitsu, you know, people are trying to choke you and break your arm and stuff like that, but um, there's this whole mentality around jiu-jitsu as well that, that talks about going with the flow and, you know, being relaxed when you're training and stuff like that. And, you know, if you watch good people training and even sometimes competing, it looks almost effortless. You know, it looks like they're not really exerting a ton of energy. And, in fact, that's one of the guiding principles is, you know, you want to use as little energy as you possibly can in order to execute whatever it is that you're trying to do. That's what I loved about jiu-jitsu when I finally got into it. That was not a hard sell for me. It was a very easy sell. But, again, it was that progression of, okay, I wanted, I wanted to wrestle. It was tough. I wanted to try it. Turns out I liked it. I liked, but then I fell in love with the technical aspect of it. So I think I had to kind of get past the toughness thing and kind of had to get past, I kind of had to realize about the technical aspect. Once I had those two things going for me, it was, it was just the, the easiest sell ever. And I think for people who are looking to get started, that's a much more broad question, unfortunately, because everybody has kind of different objectives. You know, like some people might want to really just defend themselves. They might want to learn how. But mm. I strongly suspect that no matter what the initial reason is for getting started, whether it's you want to do something that's a little tough, whether you want to test yourself, whether you want to have some kind of social, uh, like a meet-up, basically, a meet-and-greet, talk to people, get to know people, get to become friends. Whatever the reason is, I think the reason why you will stick with it is because it's fun, because it's a technical chess game, or for Brazilian jiu-jitsu anyway, specifically. Whatever got you in there in the first place, there's this whole other layer of, of, uh, of awesomeness to it, I guess. And that's, that's why I do it. That's why I still look forward to training, enjoy it. It's a major part of my life. If I don't have it, I'd probably be like 400 pounds and like, you know, about to die or whatever. Um, but with jiu-jitsu, I'm relatively, I'm relatively physically fit. You know, I, I, um, I get to engage myself in something that's positive that changes other people's lives in a positive way too. You know, so I, I love it. I love everything about it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of factors there that are seem like a fuel passion. 
Um, it, and, and then for advice on someone that just wants to start any kind of business, like, uh, you know, like let's say they wanted to start, um, well, I don't know, bakery or, or something like that. As a business owner, do you have any kind of advice for someone looking to get into something where they're literally going to put themselves at financial risk on the hope of, um, you know, maybe doing something for the rest of their life? The first thing that I would say is go read the E-Myth Revisited because it's a fantastic uh, outlook for business. What is it um, called? It's called The E-Myth Revisited. Okay. And there's, you know, the original book was The E-Myth, maybe written like 20 years ago or something, and then the dude went back and rewrote certain chapters or whatever. And it's, it's a really good read. It's easy to read. It's, it's a parable. You know, it gives you a good story about business. Um, in a nutshell, one, be prepared to do a lot more work than you might think you're going to have to do initially um, and, mm -hmm. and ongoing through the years. Two, um, try to set up a system to where you can gradually start paying less attention to the management of the business, like the day-to-day -day operations, and more attention to improving the business. Because truthfully, as, as the owner, your job is not to run the business. Your job is to improve the business over time. And I think if you can understand those two things, it's going to be a lot of work up front, a lot of difficulty. Um, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel to where you don't have to do all the day-to-day -day tasks. doesn't mean you're not going to have to go put out fires. You're certainly going to have to do that every now and then. But understanding the difference between what's urgent and what's important is really helpful in that regard. You know, like if uh, something needs to happen relatively soon, but you can delegate it to somebody else and it's, the quality isn't going to be compromised, you should probably delegate it. You should probably focus on the things that are truly important. Like, yeah, that's that's the thing I find most people get hung up on as small business owners is delegating. But obviously, you have to do it because you can't just be in you know fifteen different places at once. Exactly. I mean, if you have any aspirations at all of growing, and you know, for us in, in martial arts business, like our our goal is to to reach people. You know, we want to have more training partners, not less. That's good for everybody that's there good for the new people coming in because they're going to have tons of experienced people to work with. And it's, it's great for the current students that have been there for a while, too, because, you know, you're going to have students of this body type, students of that body type, males, females, uh, adults, kids, you know, and everything in between. Uh, so a bigger gym isn't always better for everybody, but I think for us it's, it's way better to have a bigger gym than a smaller gym. So understanding that, you know, exactly what you're saying, man. You can't be bug bunny on first base, bug bunny on second base. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to have a team of people who are capable of doing these kinds of things. So laying out the foundation at some point, preferably relatively toward the beginning, you know, documenting what it is that you're doing so that with the thought of eventually somebody else might be doing this. I think that would oh, be that's great advice. Yeah, yeah you know, I mean, I didn't make it up. You know, I stole it from somebody else. But, but I mean, it, it definitely works. I can say that from, for sure from firsthand experience. For the longest time, my business was really small. You know, it was like a struggle just to stay alive, like most people. Um, mm. I have actually owned part of another another business called U.S. Grappling as well, and, and I've been very hands-off with U.S. Grappling for the last couple of years, um, but very hands-on with Revolution BJJ. So I've been able to see sort of the contract and different approaches to things, you know. And right. if you try to do everything yourself, you, while on the one hand you'll have a lot of control and you maybe you're uh, ostensibly doing the things that you want to do with your time, it won't last. It won't be that way forever. You know? 
right. you want to do what you want to do with your time, you are going to need help. You're going to need other people to do it. And that's pretty much it. This has been Various Things. I'd like to thank Andrew for taking the time to talk with me. You can find more from Andrew at his website, revolutionbjj.com, as well as on social networks at the username revolutionbjjrichmond. For more episodes like this, check out variouspodcast.com, and you can check us out on iTunes and Stitcher under the show name Various Things. Thanks for listening.